0: was the Smiths with a track called Miserable Life from their 1984 debut album. I'm David Eastore and this is The C-86 Show. <music> Welcome once again. I'll be bringing you songs you know, some you don't and some you should. As always. I'll be crossing time, space and genre with the finest in a new pop from the Golden Decade. Each week we like to have a special guest and this week it's going to be the turn of bid from the monochrome set. So I'll be bringing you that interview in probably three or four easy to digest little segments alongside the usual award-worthy playlists. But to kick kick the show... Into, into go. Let's start with your favorite, my favorite, and let's face it, everybody's favorite. This is Monochrome Set.
1: Mind. There's no sense in telling me the wisdom of a fool won't set you free, but that's the way that it goes, and it's what nobody knows, and every day my confusion grows. Every time I see you falling, I get down on my knees and pray. I'm waiting for that final moment, you say the that I can't say I feel fine and I feel good I feel like I never should whenever I get this way I just don't know what to say why can't we be ourselves like we were yesterday I'm not sure what this could mean I don't think you're what you seem I do admit to myself That if I hurt someone else Then I'll never see Just what we're meant to be Every time I see you falling I get down on my knees and pray I'm waiting for that final moment You say the words that I can't say Every time I see you I'll get down on my knees and pray, I'm waiting for that final moment, you say the words that I can't say.
0: Absolutely exquisite and delicate sounds all the way from Australia, that was even as we speak, and that was some bizarre love triangle which obviously was written by new order, but it's worth tracking down Definitely tracking down a a copy or version that was done by Laura Cantrell, the country artist that we used to love so much. What's happened to her? Anyway, that goes out to David and Rachel all the way down in Australia. And before that, we had our special guest. That was the monochrome set and the track that we used to do a lot of uh, interesting and bizarre indie dancing to. That was a song called Monochrome Set. So I'll be bringing the interview that I did with Bid in the autumn or probably even the late summer Um, a little bit further down the line but uh, I do believe they have got an album that's come out called or coming out at the beginning of February which is called Maisie World and a live date in Norwich which I think is the 2nd of March at Epic Studios but to keep the party rolling this is a track that came out on the Pink record label this is Rumblefish and the track called Tugboat Lime And Roll, that's the uh, shop assistant, assistants, and that uh, is a track called Caledonian Road, which you probably guessed, and that came out on 53rd and 3rd Records all the way from Edinburgh. And before that, we had Rumblefish and the track called Tugboat Line, and that came out in 87 on the pink label, which um, obviously I'm very excited to buy. But it doesn't take much for me to get excited, but I, I caught up with Paul, who was one of the um, by one of the two people who started and ran the Pink Record label that featured lots of exciting bands, including The Hands and McCarthy. So I'll be bringing you that interview hopefully sometime this year. No, it'll be soon. But um, yes, I was looking through some of their back catalogue. Anyway, this is David Saw the C86 show, bringing you the finest in indie pop. If you want to contact me, we always love your messages. You can via Twitter or Facebook. Just go to at C86show and I'll be there lurking in the shadows as always. Bye but our special guest is uh, the monochrome set, because I caught up with Bid re- recently, <clears throat> he says, losing his voice. And um, so I thought we should play another track by the band. This is Jet Set Junta.
2: Take top, Go.
0: Yes, another record from the Pink Record Label. That was McCarthy, and the track called "Red Sleeping Beauty." And before that, we had a track from our special guest in this week's C eighty six Show, Monochrome Set. Um, that was the guest, and the track called "Jet Set Junta," and that came from came out in nineteen eighty two from there. Album called Eligible Bachelors Hello and welcome, this is David Eastor on the C86 show, bringing you the finest in indie pop, and like I said, if you want to contact me, you can via email or Twitter, just go to at we'll just write down at c86show and i'll be there but i was just aware that time is ticking on and i want to get all this into all these interviews that i did with beard in before the uh, critical cut off moment so i'm going to play a track by micro disney who i caught up with several of the members just around the christmas period so i'm going to play horse overboard and then the first part of my interview take it away micro disney Still sounding fantastic. That's micro-Disney in the track called Horse Overboard. That came out, um, I think it was in the mid-80s, from the album The Clock Comes Down the Stairs. Hello, this is David Eastall on the C86 show, playing the finest in indie pop. And this week's special guest is micro-monochrome set. Get it right, David. We can edit that last bit out. Anyway, no, I'm not going to. But we should play the first part of the interview. This is um, an interview that I did with Bid around the autumn time. And this is where I ask him about the start of the band and how it all came together. Take it away, Bid. It's over to you now.
3: We were just young kids wanting to, having already established that we wanted to, stupidly established that we wanted to play instruments and, and we just sort of wanted to do something different. And and um, Andy and I joined this band with... with uh, what was to be Stuart Goddard, who later became Adam in Leicester Square, called the B-Signs, and from that uh, literally seminal, not literally, but seminal band, yes. <laughs> came Adam and the Ants, and about a year later the monochrome set, and that was sort of it, and and um, John Haney from the Art Attacks, who were a well-known punk band at the time, split up just at the time we were looking for a, for a um, drummer at the end of 77, um, and the monochrome set started then. Yes. Hmm.
0: And did you sort of find your sound quite easily or quite quickly?
3: Um, I guess so. I guess, I mean, Lester, John and I weren't really interested in in being out-and-out punk because it was kind of, you know, once the anger (laughs) had had, uh, dissipated and there was never anger in me anyway, Um, it was just a question of doing something exciting. And punk had already not become exciting to us.
4: Yes. So, so we just did something,
3: something that we could do, something sort of slightly sharp and jagged, which is what young people do. Well, which is what they did then. Yes. Uh, and and um, sort of pop, if you like, it was really... It's all, It's always been essentially an experimental pop band with strong... Uh, american influences really that that's kind of sums up the monochrome set i think yeah and and i guess that i mean there were a lot of bands who were distinctly different in their own way around about that time and, and some slipped into the genre and others either carried on or were forgotten i mean i guess there were probably quite a few bands that were just forgotten that they did something a bit weird, <laughs> uh, you know, it's just the way it goes, <laughs> sorry guys, yes. but I mean, there, there, there was power pop around about the time as well, I think, uh, I can't remember what they, they were called. Were they called the Pleasers? There was a band around about that yes, time that was the something.
0: The Police. Like that. There was. Their old, yeah. There was. There was. Sting and people like that. Who yeah. also took a sort of, I suppose, a bit of a punk ethos. But then there was mm. also the band people who were starting to get into. Was it the Blitz Kids and New Romantics as well? Yeah.
3: But and and well, around about the so uh, we were managed by the same management as Wire. So so we we were I suppose we were the kind of. <laughs> <laughs> the, you, you'll, you'll either live a long time or you'll be forgotten. But we both lived a long time, so we were okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 1980 came along, and, and then instantly we got into well, towards about the halfway through that we got into neuromantics and suddenly it became another genre. And and um, you know, I don't know. You had to go into one genre or another. And I think that we, I mean, we had a lot of negative press. We had a lot of positive press in. Seventy-eight, but but when things moved on and people started making a lot of money out of it, which they did with neuromantics, Romantics, um, I think the people in the in the in the Bees didn't want us to exist. Right. They just got irritated by our <laughs> by our continuing presence. Um, you know, we were still like the the feral creatures of the forest, hanging about, <laughs> and they just wanted us to go away. But we just sort of we carried on for a bit, you know. But we didn't really last that long because we were just not. Not, not um, There wasn't really the breadth of 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 uh, acceptance. You know? yes. The church wasn't very broad. No. There was a lot of a lot of very very narrow churches sprung up, <laughs> and we you know, we just carried on as itinerant preachers. Yeah,
4: excellent.
0: I like that idea because actually, having done this kind of these interviews for the last year, sort of several virtually every every week, and sort of sort of finding out a lot about what happened to bands, I sort of have got this kind of. One thing that is almost quite clear almost to the day is, is the five year arc where bands that kinda of get together and sort of fiddle around for a bit and then manage to make a single. Yeah. Get on the John Peel show, do the session, do an album, do the tour, and then they sort of have that for various reasons, the second album and possibly if they've done America if they do America that yeah. definitely kills them. If they, <laughs> they they also want to kill each other and the management yeah. and the management have also not given them any money and they oh,
3: you know financial irregularities, <laughs> um, but I mean the se- second album is always difficult because the second album, first album is usually the product of about two or three years' work. Well, well, when you when you when formulating as a band you're picking up fans and you know it's only after the first two years unless you're a bit of a manufactured band that you get a deal and in those first two years you've written all these songs and the second album is this race to make another album in a really short period of time usually because you need the money and you like the idea of doing another album so so they're they're often rubbish you know um so i mean i don't know but with us but uh but the it was only really in the internet age that you could kind of the 90s were extremely difficult for everybody because a lot of the the, the sort of indie feel part outside of people like Cherry Red, there wasn't really an indie scene, and there certainly, more importantly, weren't really indie agents, and um, it was just difficult to do anything. You know, it was only when when um, the internet came in, which is which is sort of mid late 90s onwards, that, that smaller bands were able to just. Do things themselves via via MySpace or something, you know, contact promoters and whatever, and get get their own thing going. So you, you're very much reliant on the biz, and if the biz didn't like you, you were you were finished, you
0: know. It's a very cruel world in the world of rock and roll. But anyway, that's the first part of my interview with Beard, and I was just doing a little bit of research on your behalf, dear listener, so you don't have to bother. But um yes, Monogram said I've got quite a tour coming up at the moment, or oh, just about to. Uh, they're going to be again right around. Well, the UK, plus Germany and a few dates in France, or at least one. But uh, they'll be in Norwich on the 2nd of March at Epic Studios. But they're going to be in Oxford, Southampton, Bristol, Leeds, Preston, etc, etc. I'm not going to go around the entire country. And also they have an album that's coming out on the 9th of Feb, which is called Macy World, that's on Tepic Records. Anyway, this is another track by the band. This is Jacob Sledder.
2: Then take those feet And let them glide My baby sweet Gonna be my bride I got a girl She got a man All of God's children We're planning Jacob's ladder. We're planning Jacob's ladder. We're planning Jacob's ladder. Oh, Oh, take my boy.
0: Chart by And That is uh, the monochrome set in the track called Jacob's Ladder. This is David Easton on the C86 show, trucking on as always. And um, yes, if you want to contact me, I know I say this quite a few times in the show. Um, you can just go to at C86show on either Twitter or Facebook and I'll be there lurking and always excited. But this is going to be the second part of the interview that I had with Bid where we talk about, yes, the admin and the business of being in the band. Take it away, Bid.
3: Well, that brought that to a halt because we found, found ourselves in a situation of, of being on a, a major record label who didn't want us. They they had signed us to get everything but the girl and we were part of the package to make weight. You know, it's like a football <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> transfer. You get and you also get, you know, the, the nutter from, <laughs> from 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 wherever Croatia, and and you you stay on the bench. And um, so so we had that you know thing with it. Wallace is just this behemoth of a company, and if you have really high-level management, you can't really manage to work with a company like that without without some some nasty geezers on your side and we were all very nice yes.
4: um,
3: and we could have at that point gone back to cherry red but we just had enough and we just needed some time off so so we we just split up i i think you know that there's other bands who would have done the same thing around about that time
4: yeah
3: um and that was it you know because we didn't see any any future really to to what was happening. We were never a major label band. We were never a, a chart singles band anyway. Mm. So I, I think that we went on to it just to see what was happening and it was yes. bad. Yes. And so we took that time off. And we, The reason why we got back together in 1990 is that unknown to us, um, all the early records had sold really, really well in Japan and we were never told that and we never went to Japan. So we we got together again because a Japanese promoter, well he first asked me to do a solo tour and I, I suggested to him and I suggested to the other guys that we get the band back together. And we went there and it was an enormous success. Yes. The sort of Beatles Hard Days Night style being chased down the street which is just like a bit off the planet yeah. um and it, and we kind of hung our 90s existence somewhat around japan um and we did a little bit around europe as well but there again we found it very very difficult in because 90s it still it was like the, the 70s and 80s but worse in europe because you really just just you, you couldn't do anything unless you were on some kind of known label or known agency.
4: Yeah.
3: Um, and it was really, and then we split up again in 96 because I think that the Japan connection kind of got a bit cold uh, for, for a reason I don't understand in retrospect because we were still big there. Yeah. Uh, and then I, 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 to a degree, I, I got tired of it as well um, because it just didn't feel... As if it was progressing, really,
4: yeah.
3: um, musically. And I did something else. I had this other band for which I made seven, I think, seven albums for Scarlet Swell. And uh, it was really meant to be a studio band, but then played live, and it actually did really well. It, the record sold really well, even though it seems to be c- completely forgotten by right? everybody. <laughs> they actually still say it sold better than the Monochrome set does now. But then that's the, the nature of time, you know. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, as, as we progress, the record seems to, hard copies of records seems to sell less and less. Yes. Then we we got back together, the reason why we got back together, Scarlet's Well themselves, I felt that, that, that it was um, running to its end of its thing. I mean, I think with a, gr- a group of people, I think that uh, people looking outside into bands can't see why certain bands stop because they think, well, you can do this and you can do that, but when you're in a band looking out, you don't feel as if you can do any more within a particular situation, a particular environment, and so you have to move on or you have to really change that, and you, you can't change the environment that much without you know, really being undiplomatic with people, and some people do that, you know, in other words, sacking people or completely changing the the, the setup. up yeah. And um, you don't want to do that, so you just split the band up and you, you move to something else. Luckily, with the monochrome set now... <laughs> Is that people people actually get sacked or they leave? So there's a breath of fresh air that comes along every once in a while, and you know, so it's quite good at our age because because you know it keeps things fresh when people start dying and leaving and things.
0: like that. <laughs> it's always convenient. Yeah, because because I must admit, it's sort of from from doing these interviews, I can see the dynamics of being in the band and mm. trying to get everybody to sort of slightly be facing the same direction and sort of having the same sort of ethos or the same sort of spirit is well
3: i mean well, when you're young you know you don't have anything else to do you don't think of things like bills and 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 kids at school not I have kids but that kind of thing and um you know when you get older or when you get really old it's like being young again but um yeah you have other things and not everyone prioritizes being in a band in the same way because it's, it's a it's a bit of a deadbeat life, you know. You have to sort of be available all the time. To do. It's it's like sort of going from being good at hockey to being in a kind of amateur hockey side to in a proper amateur league. You suddenly discover it's no longer at really the amateur. You've actually got to smarten up and you've got to put every weekend aside forever. Yeah. So so it's sort of um, it's no longer kind of. Well, it is a fun hobby if you really, really like hockey. (laughs) (laughs) So you've got to really like music to do it, you know.
0: And that was my second part of the interview with Bid from the Monochrome set. And as I said, they've got a new album and dates throughout spring coming to Norwich on the 2nd of March. So do check it out. It's going to be an amazing gig. But anyway, time is trucking on and we haven't got much to waste, he says, hovering. OK, let's play one more track and then the last part of the interview. This is going to be the James Dean driving experience. I know, just for a change, and a track called Never Means Anything. Well, I think they are pop perfection. That is the James Dean driving experience and the track called Never Means Anything. And if anybody knows anything about the James Dean driving experience, do get in touch with me because I would love to do a special on them. And uh, there's so little information out there. But anyway, the last part of my interview with Beard from the Monochrome set, where we start talking about the great admin publishing and all that world that um, I find quite fascinating and also slightly confusing. Beard, take it away. This is the third part. And boy, this is radio gold.
3: It is, but if you've done something like, as far as um, publishing royalties go, if you do something like when you're young you sign all your publishing royalties away, that is so illegal, or I mean, that you shouldn't be doing that at all anyway, and you can just, or it's illegal for someone to, to pull the wool over your eyes and do that, you can just go to a court and get it overturned, and end, and end up with a portion of the, of the royalties anyway because yeah. it's just it, it's just covered by international law, things like that, you know.
4: Yes.
3: I, I mean, maybe it wasn't in the 1930s, but it has been in the past 50 years. So, yeah, you can really do your own stuff. You know, yeah. That doesn't prevent you at all. It's just that certain recordings, you may never get recording royalties for, for for that particular recording if they've actually paid for you to go into the studio to record those songs. Because, after all, they can pay for you to go into the studio and record songs by... Um, written by someone completely different, by Lennon McCartney. And um, so you'll never get the Lennon McCartney uh, royalties, but you'll still get the recording royalties. Yes. You know, see the mean?
0: It all makes makes sense. Because I did notice using Spotify that with the monochrome set, you do have a fantastic monthly listening kind of audience out there, don't you? I don't
3: know. Well, it's a it, very old hat. I don't, it's, I don't it, well, it's
0: do. it's fourteen and a half thousand people uh, a month, fourteen and a half thousand monthly listeners, which is quite extraordinary because that's you know for a band who's several decades old.
3: Thanks for telling me. I think I'm going to chase that up. <laughs> so we, we we do get yeah, I mean we do get royalties from from digital plays and digital sales and things like that. So it's okay. I mean I I think it's because I mean personally I think that. Um, to a degree, people kind of slightly misunderstand us. That I think that we've all, all always been on the borderline between being an art band and being a pop band. I think, I think that, and we appeal to an awful lot of people. And, you know, there's a lot of bands like, I don't know, um, Steely Dan, who were never out, out of that pop band. But they were, they, they were a very big commercial act. So there are a lot of very commercial releases out there, which are not what you might call Taylor Swift, you know, and they'd sell a lot of records. So so it's not a surprise to me that, that there's there's a lot of people out there who like that kind of weird thing.
4: Yeah.
3: You just have to go into a supermarket and see some of the weird things on the shelves, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of people who like sort of odd stuff. Yeah. So, I, you know, I mean, obviously my suggestion is if it's if it's in itself good and if you enjoy doing it, you should just keep doing it until you die. Because you know? you're bound to find some idiot, <laughs> some, some weird bunch of inbred imbeciles in a village in some mountain who are going
0: to really like it. <laughs> <laughs> and because also sort of you've been obviously you were very prolific during certain decades and you yeah. started sort of putting out quite a lot of material again so has that been exciting?
3: Um, I think it's just that we can't stop you know. I think you, you, if, you, if you are able to do it, then you do it, and then you can't stop it. I think you, you have something inside you which makes you keep going until you, you, you drop dead, and you can't stop, stop yourself. It's just... It's a sort of... It's, it's more than an obsession. It's an, it's an inner part of you which just... That's its life. Yes. To, to produce art, you know, and you, you just step aside uh, and let it happen. And um, it's not a desire to get... Anything other done than just a new album, and just be excited about producing this new piece of art. So, so and everything else is is more of a conscious interaction with the outside world. You know, yes, it's really very difficult to describe, but that's really the way it is. You know,
0: and also, I mean, you know, you've got a very steady lineup now, haven't you? So, not
3: exactly. No. <laughs> <Is> it? <laughs> it's new album. Is with a new dra- drummer. Well, actually, he was the drummer that, that did uh, Dantes Casino back in 1990 with us. But it's going to be quite a, a new sounding album. So, so it, uh, I mean, no, the, the the lineup changes slightly over the past um, uh, four years, five years.
0: Yeah, and having gone through, you haven't gone through a huge amount of um, members, but you have got a few. I mean, how do you, how does one cope with those kind of moments? You know, as you move forward in life.
3: I think that. I'm the main songwriter you know so and I wasn't uh, I was the main songwriter back in 78, uh, 1980 but still Lester wrote more of the music then and John wrote the drummer at the time John wrote more, more of the lyrics then but I still wrote the majority of the stuff yes. and really since um, since probably the, the, the last Weekend album and certainly through the 90s and now I've written something like 95% or even 100% of the stuff so, so, And that's how you keep going.
4: Yes.
3: It's, it, it, if there's a central figure in the band, then that band will just keep going.
0: And what would you, and just last question, what would you say to your 18-year-old self who started out in music?
3: <laughs> um, nothing, really. Because I don't think that, uh, you know, I don't think, I think I've ended up what I sort of thought I'd end up as. As a sort of and I don't think about it. If if I say it it's gonna sound really incredibly full of myself and arrogant and all that but it is I've ended up as a kind of a, a cult figure. Um a bit like the cult figures that I was influenced by. You see what I mean? The very idea that Iggy pop would be covering one of my records and I got a bunch of money for it. It's just kind of weird. So I've ended up as a sort of influential cult figure And that's what I always wanted to be, but I never really, I never really directed myself towards being that. And I don't think about it now at all. Unless I'm talking to
4: um,
3: media or, or not even fans, you know, but uh, talking to, if you like, the outside world.
0: And that, sadly, is the end of the interview. And also, we're coming to the end of the show. This has been David Easton on the C86 Show. A big thank you to Bid from the Monochrome set for giving me the time for that interview. And like I said, they've got new albums, a new album, and also live dates. So do check them out because I think it's going to be a fantastic night. And this is a track from the new album. This is going to be, yes, I feel fine, in brackets, really. Anyway, have a great week. And uh, Stay tuned for next week's exciting instalment.
2: Are you well? Are you well? Are you well? You look so pale. You better get some of the sun. And start taking some pills No, I feel fine, I feel fine I feel fine, I'm feeling fine Are Are you dumb? Are you dumb? Are you dumb? You haven't said a word You better get out of your shell Before your memory is blurred Stick. You're too sticky, you're too sticky, you're too sticky, you've got to learn to evade. Why don't you unscrew your little bottle and pour yourself a friend? No, I feel fine, I feel fine. You reality you like. This the this jacket, I will tie your hands behind you.